Please pray with me. Lord, those words that we've sung are no empty words. It is well with our souls on account of Christ. Lord, we love those lyrics that um, You, the Holy One, have shed Your blood for our souls and therefore we have everything that we need. We are secure and we are safe in Christ. And Lord, we freely acknowledge that, that we struggle to always be content and, to, and, a tr- and a, to say with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that it's well, and yet we know it's true. Though we are weak, and we feel our weakness, and we're frustrated by our failures, we have everything we need in Christ, and we know that. And so I pray that you would continue to work in us to, to increase our awareness of the grace that abounds to us in Christ so that we would find more contentment in every circumstance and at the same time press on harder and harder towards the goal of becoming more like You, Christ. We ask all these things in Your name. Amen. Every January, following a a president's inauguration, uh, the president gives a State of the Union address. And the aim of that Uh, speech really is to uh, communicate to Congress the aims of his administration and the uh, accomplishments. So, but he's done what has been done so far in the past, but also the future. What does he aim at for his administration? And many churches have the same practice. Uh, I've heard a number of state of the church type sermons and found found many of them some of the most encouraging and helpful messages uh, every year. I know Doug Wilson's church, Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, does one. I just find it so encouraging and enlightening. And just given a number of things that have happened recently, um, I thought that uh, it would be really good to just set aside this Sunday and give a, a state of our church address. And a, a number of reasons for that, and I'll list them for you. Uh, the first is, as you know, we're coming out of the COVID crisis, so it seems that we are. Uh, President Biden again has said that, that he believes the vaccine will be available by the end of, to everyone by the end of May. And since we've shut down the majority of our ministries over the last year, just to, uh, to respond rightly to that crisis, uh, it's it's time now, I think, that we should get things started up. So generally, I have an aim to kind of get things going uh, by summertime. And I just need to communicate with various ministry leaders to kind of find out what are the needs and find out from them what we need to do to get that happening. Another reason is uh, originally I'd planned on giving an elder pass down. Uh, and I'd communicated that. But as I looked at all the things I needed to communicate, I realized, good night. It would just be unkind to have people sit through a 45-minute message um, and then another 45-minute you know, administrative pass-down. So I kind of combined the two. I thought that would be more merciful. Uh, also, I realize I need to grow as a leader in communication, and I'm making an effort to do so. And so I want to go out of my way to communicate what are, what are my aims in leading the church and what are my expectations of you 
uh, within the body. And uh, so some of what I might say uh, may seem repetitive, but that comes from a desire to over-communicate rather than to under-communicate. And so as I see weaknesses within the church, I want to know that I've gone out of my way to say, okay, these are our needs. These are some of our weaknesses. Let's work on these and know that I haven't failed to you know, explain that expectation. Uh, so I want to go do my best. Uh, and I want us to be honest about our weaknesses. And, and, the, and so we'll talk about some of those. And, and it's not to blame or shame anyone. If anybody deserves blame, and that would be me. So just uh, to be honest. Um, but unless these weaknesses are communicated and discussed, the, the reality is we're probably just not going to make much improvement in them. So let's talk about them openly and, f- and find ways in, on, on how we can improve. I also want to communicate goals for this year. Uh, both for the church, but also what are the what are my goals for each of you individually? What should we be aiming at as we're seeking to serve the Lord in this day and age? And so, therefore, just communicate what's expected from each of us. So, as a church, we really have one overarching goal, and that is we want to be a church of maturing Christians who are... Uh, each maturing in Christ-likeness, a maturing church of maturing Christians. Um, and and that's, that, that word is, um, uh, in, a, in a kind of progressive tense, very purposefully, because none of us are going to have arrived. This is a, this is a we're, we're always going to be growing in these areas. Growth is something that's, that, that, that is continual until we receive our resurrected body. But I get the aim of the church from uh, Ephesians, Chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul writes, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so, really, the aim of the church, quite simply, is to grow, to, that each individual member of the body of Christ would grow into Christ-likeness. And as each individual member grows, the church itself grows into Christ-likeness. And so the goal is Christ-likeness. And if you recall the sermon series a few months back, uh, another way of saying that is true worship. Worship with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. That's what we're aiming at. Uh, another way to, to put it is... Uh, that we would manifest the fruit of the Spirit in all that we do. So what does that look like practically, though? Um, here are some, some points. Again, these are repetitive of that sermon series on regeneration. And you'll notice with each of these things, they're also not static. You can, we can continue to grow in these things. Uh, we need to grow in holiness, being more spiritual, more like Christ and less like the world. And this includes how we speak, that we'd speak more and more like Christ, both in, in the truth of what we say, in the, in the depth of what we say, in the conviction, in the love, but also in our actions and even our desires. Uh, it, it would mean we're going to continue to repent and seek to obey more uh, in what the Word communicates. That we would submit to God, but not just to God. In our submission to God, we would submit to all authorities that he has established, whether we like them or not. That we'd grow in accurate theology, in biblical knowledge, 
in love for others. And again, love not being sentimentality and just strong emotional affection, but in sacrificial commitments uh, to one another. Help committee, being committed to help one another grow spiritually. Or again, just manifesting the fruit, more of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. And less the fruit of the flesh. You know, arguing, dissensions, fighting. Um, you, know, you know the list. And none of us have arrived at this, right? As Paul says in Philippians 3, until we are resurrected, none of us are going to be Christ-like. So we, but we want to make it our aim to continue to grow as individuals and as a church. And that, that's the church's job. And we can't forget that because we don't hear that enough. I mean, you may be thinking, gosh, Joseph, we hear that almost every Sunday. Um, but in, in our culture, that's not often the standard that's set up. Like the successful church is the one with a huge budget, a huge building, a, you know, a congregation of 20,000 people. Or, and it's easy to think that, oh, the church just the goal of the church is to grow financially or grow in popularity. Um, but it's not. We're not trying to be a certain size. We have no aims to have a certain budget or to look a certain way. Really simply, and this is going to be as long as I'm an elder at this church, our goal is going to just simply be to grow in Christ-likeness. And then making decisions based on how can we best achieve that aim. So when it comes to making decisions on buying a building or um, investing in more instruments or uh, curriculum or adding staff members, improving the website. When it comes to those decisions, the question that we're primarily asking is not what's going to make us look like we've arrived. Who cares about that? What's really going to help us? What's going to help? What are the weaknesses that we have? And therefore, what is it that we really need help in? So who cares what the church down the street is doing? What is it that we need? And so that's that's what should drive our decision. And so quite simply, we want to be growing individually and as a body in all of these areas. So how is such growth to be accomplished? Of course, you guys know the answer to this because you hear it every week, (laughs) almost. Uh, The means of grace. Uh, And since these are the primary means that growth takes place, this is why I emphasize it so much. If our goal is growth, We've got to continually grow in these means of growth. Uh, the point of joining a football team isn't to get dressed up in pads, right? It's to get out on the field and to play. The, cho- the, the, the point of joining the military isn't so you can wear a really cool uniform. It's so that you can be deployed and defend your country. And so if spiritual growth is the point, We need to be doing things that aren't focusing on making us look a certain way, but what is actually going to help us get to where we're trying to grow. (laughs) Look at that, Freudian slip. (laughs) We want to grow. So practically speaking, what what is my expectation for us individually? Well, first and foremost, it is that every, every one of us should be committed to weekly worship. Now, sometimes we get sick, or we're out of town, or we're on vacation. That stuff's normal. But we want to make it our aim to try and, at all, if at all possible, make it every week for worship, as Hebrews 10.25 commands us to. 
And more than that, it's not about just showing up, but really coming with humble, teachable hearts, with an eagerness to grow, recognizing I want to come to church to help my brothers and sisters grow and to care for them, but also recognizing we need to hear the word uh, preached and for it to, to comfort and guide us. We need to be in the word regularly in prayer. And so because I give so much time to that, I'm going to move quickly past that. Uh, we also need to be devoted to fellowship and ministry to one another. And again, because fellowship is really limited on Sundays, I, I, I try and encourage us to get more fellowship outside of just Sunday services uh, in the week. So it could be just going to people's houses and spending time with them or being a part of a community group or a discipleship group. And I would say every Christian should seek to have regularly spiritually focused, in-depth interactions at least once a week with Christians outside their family. It could be on the telephone. It could be via Zoom. I think in person's better, of course. But there should be some commitment for that regular sort of fellowship. Um, I also think we should be more devoted to family worship. This is a practice that used to be very in common, uh, even a hundred years ago, that's kind of fallen out of practice. And it, I think partly because it, it seems really intimidating, like we've got to have a whole worship service as a family. Really, family worship is simply reading the Bible together, praying together, maybe singing songs. Again, what does your family need? Um, and it could, it could be just that simple. Hey, let's just sit down and read a chapter of the book of Galatians together. Discuss it. Uh, pray for a few minutes. Um, you've heard that it, uh, the family that prays together stays together. Obviously, that's not Scripture, but I think it's true. Um, and it's true partly because um, the more that people are honest in prayer, the, the easier it is to talk about difficult issues. Uh, it's surprising how many Christians I find who are here, the, the idea of practicing family worship, whether it's daily or weekly, as a, as a legalistic thing spending 15 minutes together as a family discussing the Word or praying. But almost every family spends an hour, two hours together watching television. And maybe it's not some filthy movie. Maybe it's just a game show or something. But if we can devote an, an hour to watching television together where we're pouring in just the world and its influences, we should be able to devote 15 minutes to talking about the Lord together. And again, uh, this helps families keep focus on what really matters in life. And it's easier to address issues and concerns. Such conversations naturally flow. If you're talking about the Bible and talking about a passage, you have to deal with real life issues because the Bible isn't, doesn't hold back on us. I mean, <laughs> multiple times as our family has just been reading through Scripture, we have to have discussions about the birds and the bees because the boys will be asking, well, what is that about? What's a prostitute? All right? and, it doesn't, and it's not an awkward thing. It's like, hey, the Bible's talking about it. Let's just discuss these issues. But other things um, I think are far easier to talk about when the Bible's central and a regular part of our family routines. Uh, we also need to be engaged in ministry to one another. And that's because, again, the goal of the church is to grow. And so every member should be committed to serving other Christians in some capacity. And... The next two are really subsets of ministry, giving. We should be regularly giving and seeking to evangelize as well. And again, in these things, improvement can be made both in quantity, how much time we spend in these areas, but also in quality. You may not have more time to give. 
but you might be able to take that time and, and give and, and improve in it. Like this year, one of my goals is I'm pretty content with how much time I devote to prayer, but I want to pray more focused, more spirit-led prayers. I don't know how to let, have my mind wander less. You know, really focusing on the quality of my praying since uh, the quantity has increased. And so to help us grow in these areas, I've developed just some simple questions uh, that I will, that, that I've written out, and I'm going to send these to you uh, after church uh, in, a, in an email. And it's my goal to meet with each of the families over the next six months that are here and just to discuss these questions. Uh, so I'd like you as families to go home and talk to each individual member. How, and, and really, it's just how can we grow in these areas of means of grace and um, what needs to happen? And so I want to, as a pastor, just meet with you and find out how can I help you? Because that's my, responsible in shepherd, my responsibility in shepherding is to help you grow. Um, and I think all of these uh, should be standard expectations for all Christians in all churches. But what about our church? So if this is just what's a standard expectation of every Christian, what's unique to Grace and Truth Bible Church? So I want to just take the next few minutes to talk about how I think Grace and Truth in particular needs to grow. And my hope for Grace and Truth this year is that we would grow in two ways. First of all, that we would give God our best at the same time, grow in contentment with weakness and adversity that he has granted us. And I use that word specifically, that word granted, in light of Philippians 2.29, where Paul writes, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Like he's talking about suffering and afflictions, but he's saying that's a, that's a gift. Maybe some of you recall when Chris preached on that message a few years ago. It's, it's a gift that we've been granted. And we need to think of it that way. Grant, God grants us our circumstances. He's the one that designs our bodies. He's the one that, that pushes, puts us in our context. He gives us our personal and our corporate weaknesses. And so if God has given us these things, we need to be content with them. Trusting that if he wanted us to be a certain way, he would have made us a certain way or he would have find some way to help us grow in these weaknesses. And the the primary passage I want to look at regarding this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 or 10, 10 through 12. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 12. 9 through 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly, boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. First, notice that these are all kinds of adversity. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. So this would include governmental restrictions. It would include physical disabilities, heavy workloads, the size of your family, health problems. It also includes weaknesses, 
And, and we have many weaknesses as a church. And I think in many of these, they're not something to be ashamed of. Because this is where God has given us in His sovereignty. But obviously, if, there's a, if we have a weakness, though, that's due to unfaithfulness and not just because of God's sovereignty, we are weak because we have been negligent, then it is something that we need to be uh, working on and changing. And so we have to discern what is it that, that, that is just a gift that God has granted and what is a result of our own failure. And, and some of those things may be more obvious, but some might not be. But such things could be something like um, uh, like uh, so here's here's some examples of things that are not that are just due to God's sovereignty, having no permanent building, a smaller congregation, transitory church members. What I mean by that is members that because of life circumstances are only here for one or two or three years and then they get a new job and they move. And that's what our church experience. Since I've been here, we've had half the church, it seems, has been here for a period of time and moved on. And then other people move in and move on. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, that's the nature of uh, people's life situation. Having a a confined budget. We have a small leadership team. At this point, it's just me. We have busy families with small children. Multiple languages are spoken. So these are all weaknesses that aren't necessarily, that aren't They're not a problem. They're nothing to be ashamed of. But there could be other weaknesses that maybe are a a fault of ours not doing our best. Such as the fact that we have many ministry needs. Uh, People that we have gaps where people are serving way more than they have the capacity to do so. And some people not serving at all. We have a confined budget. Uh, Poor communication is something that can be improved on. And I think, in particular, uh, a casual approach to ministry could be worked on. And again, so that there's a there's a, a tension here, and that, that can be tri- tricky to navigate. We want to be content in the weaknesses that God has granted us, and at the same time, we don't want to have those be excuses. We don't make any excuses for our failing to give God what is best. So we want to again, first point. Uh, be content with what God has granted us. But secondly, we want to make sure we're also giving God our best. And so to address this issue, I want to look at the book of Malachi. If you'd turn in your Bibles to the final book in the Old Testament. The book of Malachi is four chapters long. And we're gonna, the, over the next few minutes, we're going to whip through this really quickly. So I'll just highlight some of the key points that Malachi makes. And the main point of this prophecy really is to rebuke believers for their failure to worship God properly. They were, they were half-hearted in their worship. To which God translates as, you despise my name. But the, the Israelites weren't doing so knowingly. They thought they were honoring God. And so God has to rebuke them. You see this in Malachi 1.6. You say, how have we despised your name? God answers this question really throughout the rest of the prophecy. And this is what he delineates. First of all, he says, you've questioned your love for me. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. See, Israel, it was drowning in self-pity. Things were not going the way they wanted. They were confused. 
uh, because they, they, they were facing so much adversity and loss. But they failed to recognize their affliction was largely due to their own poor decisions. Instead of asking, hey, what can I do better? What am I doing wrong? Is this the discipline of the Lord? They were complaining. In fact, they were questioning the covenant love of God. Thinking it was his fault. He was failing. But God wasn't failing at all. In fact, he was loving them. He was disciplining them like a father would. Hebrews 12. Notice the fatherly language. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where's my honor? He's being a good father. But they doubt his love. Secondly, they offered up their worst rather than their best. Verse 8. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? A few verses later in verse 13, he says, You bring what has been taken by violence or lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed. This is strong language. Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord was blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The point is, God is deeply offended by their casual approach to worship. This would, this would be like bringing a gift to the president. You have a, you're asked to go to the Oval Office or a state dinner or something, and you want to bring a gift. That's typically what heads of state will do when they visit a foreign dignitary. And so you want to bring a gift, but instead of bringing like a national treasure, you bring something that you didn't sell at your last garage sale. That, that really is what's being communicated. You take the very worst of what you got that nobody would be like pleased with. You're just getting it off your hand. God doesn't want the leftovers. He wants your best. He wants the filet mignon. He doesn't want the stuff that you use to make a sausage. And I think it's easy to forget that, again, because we have this, this concept of the love and mercy and grace of God, which we should, and we don't want to let go of that. And yet we fail to recognize this is God. He deserves our best. We should love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, not give Him the dregs. Thirdly, they failed to rightly interpret Scripture. God rebukes the Levites in chapter 2. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel. He contrasts them with their forefather, Levi. Look at verse 8. He says, You have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So the teachers were being partial in their instruction. What, what that means is they're teaching what's popular. They're tickling ears. They're telling people what people want to hear. And so no wonder the people have been led astray because shepherds are showing partiality. They were like fathers who, who only serve the candy, right? Mom goes away on a trip. It's going to be Fruit Loops and mac and cheese and pizza every day of the week. And never give vegetables. Well, yeah, that's a popular father. Yeah, we like it when dad cooks. But it's actually killing 
the children. If it went on, they're, they're popular, but perfidious. That, that means unfaithful. The goal is not to be popular in your teaching. It's to be faithful to communicate what God has said. Fourthly, they were idolatrous. They continued to worship and serve creatures rather than the Creator. They were also unfaithful to their spouses. Look at Malachi 2, verse 13. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning. So they're, they're begging God for help. Because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion, your wife of your covenant, by covenant. Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? That's worth some time examining. And what was the one God was seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithful, faithless to the wife of your youth. So he, he, it's interesting he doesn't mention adultery. He does mention divorce. But he says guard your spirit, which says that the faithlessness wasn't just necessarily in actions that were being committed. In the mind, in the choices, in their speech. I mean, just think, have you this week been unfaithful in how you've spoken about your spouse, whether it was to a friend or a family member? Does your speech show faithfulness? Does your choices... We need to be faithful. This is a parallel passage. This is 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live, in your, live with your wives in an understanding way. Remember the, the reason? So that your prayers would not be hindered. If we're not going to be faithful to our spouses, why should we expect God to be faithful to us? And this is this is the point. Faithlessness to our spouses is equated with faithlessness to God. God takes that very personally. And so we need to be growing in our faithfulness, in our tongues, in our minds, in our actions, in our marriages. And in our culture, this is something that's easily disregarded because we talk about marital conflict. We talk about tensions within families, but that shouldn't be come acceptable. And this, I think, is likewise why um, churches are hindered in their growth. Sixthly, Israel questioned the justice and faithfulness of God. Malachi 2.17, you've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Well, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. We're asking, where's the God of justice? Wondering, how can God be just if He's allowing these evil things to take place? Instead of trusting God in their trials, they questioned His justice. And they were doing the opposite of what Job did when he faced severe trials. Remember, Job said, though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. And that needs to be our heart as well, because He's fully trustworthy. Seventh, they failed to worship God with their tithes. From the days of your forefathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. They had given, again, the dregs to God in their offerings, the, the, the lambs that they didn't even want to cook for their barbecues. In some cases, they've often even ceased to give anything to God. So, in all these seven points, they had really had such a casual approach to God, it was manifesting itself in every area of life. And they were wondering, God, why are we such a weak and uh, despised people? I thought we were your people. We were your children. Why are you allowing all this affliction? And God said, well, why don't you worship me? Like you should. This is the simple point of Malachi. Our actions and choices really demonstrate what we worship. Now, as Americans, we tend to think worship is primarily manifest in how we feel. We're really in tune with our emotions. If we have strong feelings as we're singing a song, we're worshiping. And there's some truth to that. We should worship God with our affections. But our choices, our actions really are a more concrete evidence of what we truly worship. Because we know our emotions are fickle. I mean, just think about how one moment you could just be adoring your spouse or your child. You, you don't think you could love them more. And then two minutes later, you're like wanting to rip their head off because they said something offensive or did something annoying. I mean, it's, that's emotions. But our choices, what we do, really demonstrates what we really think, how we really feel. And so if we're being casual or cavalier or careless in how we approach God, whether it's in a quiet time or in a church service, that is what tells us what we really worship. So our outward actions really reflect what's in our hearts. My wife was uh, once on a, asked on a date and uh, the young man uh, who, it was, it's not me, it was somebody else, but the young man who asked her out uh, came immediately after work and he had a landscaping job or something. And so he stunk like sweat and grass. His hair was disheveled, didn't change his clothes. And she was gracious to him. But needless to say, that, that relationship did not move further from there. Well, why? Because she, like any of us, that man, young man communicated, you're not worth me giving my best. And yet, how often do we do that with the Lord? It's easy to assume that God's okay with a casual approach to worship. And God doesn't want us to be bound up in fear of Him, afraid of, you know, that... that, that so afraid of him that we're not willing to come near him. But the, it, as we saw last week in what Jeff preached, the fear of the Lord really is one of the best expressions of worship. It's a synonym for worship in the Old Testament. Fearing him. Not in a slavish fear, but in recognition of he is a holy God. He deserves all our worship. So what are some ways that one could show a casual approach to worship? Failing to honor God as he deserves. I think just showing up late. Sometimes that can't be avoided. 
car breaks down or child has a poopy diaper right before you're ready to leave. I mean, stuff happens, right? But that's not, that's God's sovereignty. It's a weakness He allowed. It's not due to uh, negligence. But if you fail to set an alarm or you're up late, that's a different thing. Showing up stressed and tired. Again, maybe not something that you had control of, but maybe it was. Being too casual in appearance. Now that's could be controversial, and I certainly don't want to be legalistic. Um, nobody's going to ask you if you. Uh, nobody's going to ask you to leave. You show up in a shirts and a cutoff, uh, cutoff shorts. Uh, and we're not going to establish a dress code for church, or put anything into writing. So I'm just going to talk about it and then move past it. But I, I do think because we live in the in the Northwest, we go we li- we worship in a school. Everything is pushing us to be more casual. That is not how Christians should respond. We should be asking, how can we show that, we, that we're here for God and elevate the bar? And so if you want a good rule of thumb, how should I dress for church? How would you, what would you be feel comfortable wearing to like an outdoor wedding? If you'd be ashamed wearing that at an outdoor wedding, maybe it's just a little too casual. Just a rule of thumb. The point is not to impress others but again it's it, that's why the, it, establishing a dress code isn't the point the point is what's going to show your heart of worship to god it's about honoring god giving him what is your best All right the opposite is also true right it's not about impressing other people with what we wear because peter addresses this right when he exhorts women not to dress up in stylish hairdos and jewelry Sunday worship is about worshiping God, not to draw attention to ourselves by looking sleek, nor is it to just do dress so what's, with what's comfortable to us, what we feel like. It's not about us, period. It's about what would best express, God, this is your day. This is your time. And that's what we want to do as a, as a whole church. So I don't want us to be concerned again about how others are dressed that that's that's for each individual to decide i just want to i want us to elevate that standard a little bit more so let's not be concerned about one another we need to be concerned about the choice we make right this is about you expressing your heart to god if you think god's gonna be fine with you know the sausage don't expect a lot of prayers to be answered but if you want to give him the flame and yawn i think that would be that would honor him now, that's to say, I don't want everybody necessarily wearing suits. That's not the point either, right? It's how can we best honor God with how we dress? I don't want to give too much time to that, but just a, an easy example of casual approach to worship. Uh, we can show this in not being prepared to participate in a discussion in a Sunday school class or in a community group. This is frequent. Um, we're supposed to read a chapter or something, and half the people say, yeah, I just didn't read it this week. Now, sometimes, again, we're busy. But what does that say? You had enough time to watch, you know, Bonanza. You didn't have enough time to read this book that's going to help you grow. Or not being prepared to teach or to lead music or to read scripture, give announcements. Not knowing our responsibilities, not preparing our hearts, but just going from one thing to the next thing and not with a sense of I need to enter into this time of fellowship purposefully. We can also give minimal effort. 
being irresponsible is the way this is reflected. And when you need to be reminded again and again and again to do something, I mean, if you, if that, if you did that at work, you probably wouldn't have that job very much. You'd get fired. And we, as parents, we get annoyed when we have to tell our kids again and again and again. But often, that we do this in church. We need reminders again and again and again to, to, to get something finished. Being inconsistent, uh, especially in attendance. It's, it, I'll just personal note, it's really hard to lead a, like a discipleship group when people are inconsistent in their attendance. Because I don't know if... Because I want to move forward in content, but not if uh, there's not enough people there, it's do we put this on pause or do we move forward, even if though that's a really critical thing to discuss? And so it's just really hard to lead when you don't know who's up from time to time. And that's true of community groups, church services. And I don't want to be too rigid and inflexible, but I, I do want us to be able to finish the things that we start. And often uh, things that we start just don't get finished because of the inconsistency. So again, that may be just God's sovereignty putting things in our way that we just have to be content with. That we really just don't have time to devote to things. And and that's not something to burden us with. But if it's due to not trying, not giving God our best, then that is something we need to repent from. So there's a real tension here. And I'll I'll be the first to say, I'm going to show a ton of grace. Just like you guys have been very merciful to me. As I have failed and made mistakes and I'm aware of my weaknesses, um, know that I'm going to do the same thing for you. But I want to talk about it now just so you know the standard is, even though I may not be challenging you every day on, you know, dropping the ball on something, but I want us to elevate that standard for God. It's not, and I, I can't emphasize that enough. This is not about meeting my expectations. This is about how can we best honor the Lord? Because that's the church we want to be. I want to be able to put on our website that you come to Grace and Truth Bible Church, you will experience a worship service that is full of reverence for our God. And not just say that as a a hypothetical desire, but truly that is what we experience. And I think our hearts are there. But I don't necessarily, I don't know if we're there in every aspect of how we do things. And that's just, just being honest. And you guys are probably aware of that. Well, there's a lot of things we can improve. So let's do so for the sake of the Lord. So let me reiterate again the previous point, though. Our goal is not to eliminate adversity or our weaknesses, but to grow in contentment with where God has placed us. And to, at the same time, growing in selfless, sacrificial service. So our goal is not to make the church wealthier, safer, more comfortable, more attractive, although none of those things are wrong. Our goal is for us to be truer worshipers, to love God with all our soul, heart, mind, and strength. And this needs emphasis because, again, it's very counterintuitive. This is not the direction of most businesses or cultures or uh, churches in our culture. Because this might mean that our church becomes less safe. It might mean that we become more vulnerable, less attractive, less comfortable, having less resources. Like that just, I mean, but that is, that may be the case. If we're going to love God like this, it may mean we become more vulnerable 
and we suffer more loss. Right? Who's, who's the great example of following Christ? Paul. And you look at his life, hardly one of you know, a Wall Street tycoon. And so what should we expect? Right? We're followers of Christ. We need to take up our cross. And so what, what would that, that doesn't project the fanciest church in the world. But I think it, it, it does, if we can pursue that, what, what a beautiful church this really would be. So I, like Paul, I want us to be able to say to one another and, and to others in the Portland area, area, we most gladly were spent and spent ourselves for others. Uh, as he said in Second Corinthians twelve fifteen, I will I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So uh, practically, what are some upcoming changes? Practical. This is more the the pass down stuff. Uh, we're going to cancel the live streaming. We haven't been doing that for the last few weeks. Uh, we really we don't we don't want to move towards online worship. Uh, I know that's sometimes helpful if you miss a sermon or if you're sick, uh, but we really uh, believe that. God, the purpose of church is to gather together. And, and we really want to elevate that, especially as more of our culture is trying to make church more convenient and more about individual desires. We want to be countercultural for the sake of God, not just to make a statement. And the service we are using is no longer um, available also. We want to have all the ministries up and running by summer. Uh, we want to get rid of all the stuff we have in storage. Jason's overseeing that. Uh, we want to have a baptism service in a few months. I'm working on refining our constitution, uh, bylaws. So two primary things that are going to be changed there. Uh, it's we want to move from being constitution. Uh, sorry, constitutional. We want to be constitutional. We want to have a constitution. We want to move from being congregational to being more elder-led. And the desire there is to be more in line with Scripture. Um, in, ha- in its teaching on church polity, and also to remove just unnecessary requirements such as uh, the membership meeting requirements and other things that are uh, currently in that church constitution. So I'll present what I want and we'll vote on that as a church uh, to affirm that. But I don't think anything that would be shocking or out of line with what most of you are hoping anyway. Uh, we want to, I want, again, I mentioned this, I want to meet with every family in the next six months just to degro- discuss goals and how to grow. This is to help me just know how to pray for you. I pray for you individually throughout the week. And sometimes it's nice to know beyond, like, God, help them resist sin and help them to get a lot out of the word, but to specifically to know they're wanting to grow in this. Uh, it's, it's also to me, help me know what ministry should be developed. Even knowing what ministries do you want to serve in. In fact, I was just talking to, to Jason before the service about he had a great idea for ministry that he wants to do. Nothing formal, but something I think that would really help the church. So finding ways to better what ministries that we could uh, develop. And just for me to know how to better serve you. Again, if I don't know what, what, what's, what, you're, what you feel is lacking or how you feel like you're not being cared for, I'm just not going to know. And we just can't read one another's minds. And so the best way I think to, to do this is just to meet with you and to find out how the church can best serve your families. 
I want every member in our church to be regularly involved in a committed ministry. This doesn't have to be even a something on Sunday morning. Like the Isaacsons are do a, a, a nursing home. You've done that for years. Served in a nursing home. Um, Herb was serving a, a, a friend for two years, many times, helping him build a house. So it doesn't have to be like a formal church ministry, but having some sort of commitment where you're seeking to minister to the body of Christ in some way or another in a committed, regular fashion. And there are many needs that our church has, um, and I need to communicate those to you. I'll probably, I need to talk with the ministry leaders to find out what those are, but pretty much any Sunday morning ministry could use more people helping in that area. So we, we do have significant needs. I want every regular attender to become a member, um, either of this church or another church. The goal is church membership. Uh, we want to be committed to one another or committed to some body somewhere. Um, so towards that end, I want to have a membership class scheduled probably right after Easter. So a bit over a month from now. And then after that, regularly start up our Sunday school. Uh, program. So Sunday school is going to start up after that. So the membership class is going to be on a Sunday morning as a Sunday school class, and then we'll go to other classes even after that. Um, I want to get have, start having our communion meal, uh, communion once a month again, and fellowship meals. Continue to identify tr- and train elders and deacons. And uh, over this next week, I'm going to meet with the ministry leaders and just help help us establish goals and workflows and just to get our, all of our ministries uh, running smoothly and so that every person who's in that ministry knows their expectations. And again, I think that's a flaw, partly of my, partially my leadership of people want to serve, but they're just not sure what, what's expected of them. And so we need to do a better job of you know, formalizing things and communicating. Um, I have developed also... Um, Oh, by the way, these are the ministries and various leaders. I'll leave that up there. But I've, I've developed just a, a bullet point list of goals and ways to pray for um, our church. So basically summarizing everything I've presented in the state of the church. And, oh, by, I, sorry, I'll get back to that in a sec. The, as you see the names that are up there, if there's a ministry that you'd like to serve in, talk to the leader of that ministry. That's why this is up here. I didn't, I didn't communicate that well. But that was, that's what this is for. And then these are the, the simple goals for grace and truth for this year. And what it would, I would love for somebody in the church to take these goals. I'll, I'll email them out to you along with those questions I was talking about. But take these goals and make like a prayer card like we have for our missionaries so that each of us can have that in our Bibles and we could regularly be praying, God, do this for our church. Make these things so. Because it's not just about what we do, but what we pray for. And so if we could be regularly praying for these things, I I expect that God would work in a profound way. And just as a reminder, this is what we're trying to be as a church. It's not about, you know, uh, being known worldwide. It's about being faithful and growing in holiness and in godliness and in love for one another. So we're coming again out of this period of um, kind of hunkering down due to COVID. And, but the, the, the spiritual battle hasn't stopped. 
Right? We, and we need to remember we are in a spiritual battle. And in warfare, uh, you always want to be taking the fight to the enemy. Even in a strategic retreat or in a, uh, a defensive position, you're not being passive. You're training or you're um, getting refreshed. You're, you're always thinking about how to take the fight to the enemy, how to advance. And I want us to continue to advance as a church. And I want us to do that in two ways. I want us to, continue to grow in giving God our best while being content with the weaknesses that He has given us. And so that, that's really my hope for our church over this year. And I would love it if all of us could say with Paul, come December, by the grace of God we are what we are, but His grace towards us was not in vain. On the contrary, we who worked harder than any of them in regard to other churches, but it was not us, but the grace of God that was with us, that we could say that as a church with sincerity. Let's pray. Father, that is our goal, and we pray for grace because we want to grow, because we, want, we hate our sin, and we want to honor you. And Lord, we, all of us are aware of the many ways that we have fallen short for decades, patterns that we just have not repented of or just not been pointed out. Lord, I'm, I'm aware of the many shortcomings I have as a leader in communication and example and in patience and other things. And so I pray that you would give us grace. Lord, we're, we're talking about these things because we want to grow. We don't want to be like the Israelites who you had to rebuke in the book of Malachi. But we want to be like Paul in Second Corinthians who said he was content in weaknesses and insults and hardships and in oppression and persecution. Lord, we want that to be true of us. And so we pray that you would help us to grow so that you would be worshipped as you deserve to be worshipped. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.